the Catholic Libertarian Podcast. Today, I am sitting down with Adam Patrick to talk about the, the most important book, the Bible. So, Adam, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. No problem. Yeah, number, you're the third guest in my post-Libertarian Hopper Paleo months. Oh, so, um, Yeah, I, I don't like that. I, I get it. I get that there needs to be a term for stuff. Uh, I don't see myself in that under that umbrella, mm. the post-libertarian umbrella. If, if I guess I'd, I don't mind it if you're, if you're using it or someone's using it as like, you're looking at ideas outside of libertarianism, mm. I guess it's okay, but it sounds like you're just dropping it and running away. Yeah. The way I, the way I, uh, I talked to uh, Matt Erickson about it and the way I saw it was post is like, go, you've you gone through libertarianism and you're going on to other things to incorporate into your already existing ideal. Hmm. I don't see it as dropping the term, but yeah, post, a lot of people do not like that term post libertarian. It's yeah, it's, I guess that's a fair definition. I mean, it's, you know, for me, it's been like 15, 16 years of going through libertarian thought, reading, parroting the talking points, saying all the things like, you know, calling everybody statists. Yeah. And uh, I just feel like that after the last 18, 19 months, that that's not really useful anymore. Yes. It doesn't if seem you, to if, be getting anybody anywhere. If you have to define your go-to insult, it's not useful. Yeah. You know, so um, yeah, in the post-libertarian, I, I, I've tried, I, uh, I've tried to think of a good term myself. I can't think of one because I got was antrad because uh, we like, we, it's traditionalism and anarchism somewhat. So antrad, but even then that's just like a it's lame sound. It's, it's like trying to, it's yeah. Post-libertarian is the best I could think. I could think of And most people have already adopted it. So I say people should run with it. Mm, but, I like uh, to think of myself as an atom. That works. An atom. Yeah. So you started reading the Bible recently and you're uh, an agnostic or what, what, what are you exactly? That's a great question. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, I, I came up Roman Catholic. That's how I was raised. I went to Catholic school, K through eight. Um, I would say begrudgingly. My, my father told me when I graduated high school that um, the reason that he sent me to Catholic school was so I'd have something to reject when I got older instead of him. And I always thought that was really funny. We, we, my grandparents were um, off the boat from Slovakia on my mom's side and uh, Irish on my on my father's side. So um, much more the Slovak grandparents, they were very, very religious, very Catholic. Uh, rosary every night, uh, church every single second they could go to it, um, observed all the all the fasting, all the prayer days. And it, to me that growing up in like, uh, in the nineties, eighties and nineties, which is essentially the last free decade that we lived through. Um, I just rejected all of that. I just didn't really understand why it was necessary. And to be fair, it wasn't really explained, yeah. you know, there, there was nothing in the catechism that I went through that explained why we were doing that. And I think that particular generation really needed to hear it. Um, and then when I got older, I started reading a lot of um, like mystic, uh, mysticism or occult books, a lot of like Crowley, the Golden Dawn, uh, Kabbalah, Sufi Islam. And, and then when I sort of discovered, quote unquote, libertarianism, I just left it all there. Like, and, and just to kind of give you a little bit of background, my father is a, a 40 year tenured philosophy humanities professor. So I grew up with a library in my house, philosophy books, mythology books, um, and comparative religion as well, like a lot of religious texts in the house. And, um, I just, I don't know that something about God or whatever, I, I would have called myself an atheist, maybe an agnostic, maybe spiritual. 
And it, it wasn't really until the COVID thing happened in 2020, 2019, 2020, where I just snapped out of that sort of libertarian malaise that I'd been in for a decade and a half and started to look at why these ideas that I'd been espousing so uh, feverishly for, you know, 15 years just didn't seem to apply or work or um, help anything, fix anything, prevent anything from happening. And when I asked myself that question, I just started devouring any literature I could find or any, you know, any content I could consume sort of answer it. And that led me back to just sort of randomly picking the Bible and starting a show, uh, starting a, a series on the show with my friend, Chris Manis, where we looked at it, um, not the way it might be taught to you in school, but the way it was written to the people at that time. And that really changed my opinion on it. And I realized that most of the people who talk about Christianity, um, whether it's Protestant or Catholic, don't really, they only have an understanding of it, like post enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And that isn't the way it, I, I believe it isn't the way it was designed to be read. Yeah. So that's really changed for me as far as um, like how I look at that text. I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, modern readings of the Bible are not, this is why I love my, I've been Catholic as I, uh, Scott Hahn, this great theologian talks about reading the old into the new, you know, Mary is the new Eve, Jesus is the new Adam, the, the covenant going through, like you can read the old into the new and it really does make the whole book one, uh, many people read the Bible, not as one giant story, but it's individual books and they don't mm. connect at all. And I think that is a, a big mistake. People who read the Bible, they, they're missing out the overall story points. Like the, they'll take one aspect and say, well, this point contradicts that point. It's like I write up the whole book. And it's like, there's a whole, story here you have to incorporate all of it what have, what have you learned since you started going through the bible like have you had your opinions changed on christians or have your views about anything kind of sifted like what have you what have, how has it changed it yeah I, so i've tried to work myself backwards right so I, I look at um kind of how like fundamental protestantism and it's different various sects uh interpret the bible very literally mm -hmm. um and then I, I worked myself back to like okay what is that why did they come up with that way of doing it? Like, what is that in, um, in reaction to? So there, there had to be something in the Catholic church that caused this, this schism to happen. Mm -hmm. And then going back further than that, like all the way back, it, it seems to me that each generation reacts to the previous one and they forget that there were, you know, several hundred previous generations before that. Yeah. And so it's this constant Hegelian dialectic of, you know, synthesizing the thing that just happened before and then forgetting the history. Like, like there's a whole 11,000 years of human history prior to the enlightenment, prior to Descartes. Mm -hmm. And that for me was really important. It's when, when I look at the Bible, I realize it is when it's being written, the time it's being written, there would not have been any kind of separation of church and state. There would not have been an analytical approach to individualism or a particular one-on-one -on -one covenant with God. It was all about the tribe. It was all about the society. It was about keeping people alive. Mm -hmm. It was about going through rituals and traditions that today we would consider backwards. But when I look at our society today, we don't have any of that stuff. And we're all yeah. flailing around trying to find meaning anywhere we can, we can grasp onto it with this God-shaped hole in our hearts. And so mm -hmm. the stories are very much that, like the creation myth, mm -hmm. we've come in modernity to see the word myth as a lie 
But the myth is just a story and it's the story. It's the most important story. It's the story that's told that keeps you on the path that prevents your civilization from collapsing. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the Bible, it's various stories. It's what it's telling you is if you don't follow these rules, if you don't follow these laws, if you don't follow the story, your civilization is going to collapse. And that's what we see time and time and time again. Mm -hmm. It's just a, it's a constant lesson, the same lesson over and over and over again, that humans just keep failing at. Um, to me, that resonates. I mean, you just have to look out your window to see why that should resonate with people, because this is what happens when you don't have that story. Yeah, absolutely. It's, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, I mean, when it comes to the Old Testament, I had such a hard time with the littlest Protestant types who will read the creation. Like, I got really lucky that when I started researching into the Bible and trying to figure things out, I found a, a podcast from the Bema, I think it's the Bema Institute, the um, uh, rabbis who dissect the Old Testament. They read it, they read it to you in the uh, in Hebrew, then they translate it, talk about it in that in that way. And they talk about the way it was written and intended. And you kind of get, oh, this isn't a scientific document. This is a, a, a creation poem. There's a cadence. There's uh, all this stuff, too. And you read it like that. Like, this makes sense. And you can, like, my problem, my, my problem with many Protestants is they have no way of determining, like, their epistemology is trash. They can't determine anything true. Mm. Like, you ask them, it's like, so what's, 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 what, what is the, how do you know what's created? They're like, oh, well, it was like, uh, God snapped his fingers in seven days, younger us. And it's like, or you could read it as a poem and equip with science and have both. You know, like, no, it has to be that one. Or like, it can't be anything else. Like, like Ken Ham types, you know, yeah, demo's mm. choice between believe it's literal or go to hell. And it's like, no, there's a middle ground there, Ken. You don't have to give everyone this terrible choice and push people away. Yeah. And yes. So to that point, when somebody is reading a creation myth in, you know, 2000, 1000 BC, right? They're not looking at it literally. They would never have looked at it literally. Yeah. And so it's just so asinine that people today would, would have that opinion. Like even somebody who says, you know, like, like they're a creationist, or I guess that's the word, somebody who yeah. believes like Genesis is literally the story and it literally happened that way. Um, like you would be laughed out of the room back when it was written. Like that doesn't yeah. even like all that's doing is showing your bias toward enlightenment thinking and like mm -hmm. this idea of reason or deism or like the fact that you could even have a personal relationship with the God or a God. That that would never have been a thing prior to the Enlightenment. Nobody ever would have thought that. And it was, you know, I, I don't obviously read ancient Hebrew. I wish I wish I could, but I've tried to to listen to enough books or read enough books uh, of people who can help me through that. Mm -hmm. And 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 realizing that, like you said, there there is a poetry to it. There's a certain like syntax, the way that they worded something mm -hmm. that you're not going to get in English or in, even in Latin because it just gets lost in translation. Even the words right? That they get translated through this game of telephone and then mm -hmm. they end up being literally interpreted by people in 2021. It's like <laughs> seven times removed from yeah. the way that it was intended, which is a story. It's like, like any other story, the Iliad or mm -hmm. Gilgamesh or anything else. Like no, nobody ever would have taken that literally and believed that that actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, no my problem, my problem is, um, I, I, I knew this guy, he would, uh, every time he sunsets, he would, uh, take his Bible and he would test, he would look at everything the pastor said and would like double check it. Mm. And it's like, Oh, cool. I, I talked to him like, so you're using like an ancient Hebrew translation or Greek is no, I have methods. And it's like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? You're going to take the message Bible and then test everything you hear against what you, what that translation, like the, the arrogance of this guy, mm -hmm. think he can determine all the truths when it comes to everything with the most 
trash uh, interpretation. It, it's like this be, I don't know if it's the Enlightenment or if it's the Reformation or what is it that caused all this uh, terrible, I don't know, I, I, Bible, I, I call it Bible literacy because they can read it, but they're not getting it. Mm-hmm. So they might as well be a little bit. They just yeah, they don't you, get it. You, you almost have to, you have to force yourself to erase the last five or 600 years from your brain. And it, it's almost like going into like a, um, like a, like a good trip, like an ayahuasca experience. Mm-hmm. Like you, you erase all of the, these filters that have been programmed into you and you're told, you know, a, you can't be a backwards human being. You have to be part of this enlightened civilization, right? It's all about civilization. And if you can wipe those filters away and try to see something the way that someone back then would have seen it, um, that's really illuminating. And it actually gives you, you know, people will say like, oh, I'm calling it a story or it's a myth. And we're, it's, but really what that is, is getting in touch with what it actually is, which is a path to not understanding God, but being one with God, mm. being accepted by God. It's, um, I think the word, uh, uh, not apocryphal, ap- apophatic, 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 which is apophatic theology would be talking about God in the negative as in terms of what God isn't rather than cataphactic, which is talking about God in terms of what it, what he is. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting way to, to approach it. Because if you talk about what God is, then you're you're saying that you have the, uh, you have the hubris or the ego to understand something that's not understandable because you can't Mm -hmm. be outside of it looking in. Yeah. Um, It was uh, actually Karen Armstrong in her book, uh, the case for God, which I recommend to everybody to read that it's very well put. She it's an audio book. She reads it herself. She's beautiful linguist um, and really breaks down all of this and talking about like the idea of kenosis and emptying yourself. I think it was Philippians two, seven, where um, he talks about Jesus emptying himself. And the idea of kenosis is, is sort of that it's, it's you're, you're letting go of all of these things that are holding you back and you're letting yourself go on a spiritual journey to connect with, whatever you can connect with. Not, like I said, not in an attempt to understand it, but in an attempt to be at peace with it. Mm-hmm. That, that to me seems to be a very productive path forward and something that people would do well to at least attempt to experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. Like, like, there's a lot of, um, one of the down, one of the things I absolutely detest about Protestantism is this uh, materialistic uh, vein they have, where it's like, you can't, for example, they can't send the, the idea of the rosary, you know, or you say, I'm going to meditate with the Protestants. And they're like, oh, well, meditating is when you clear your mind and let Satan in. And it's like, no. Is, is that what they it, say? It, that's what they, yeah, I was in church yeah. and I said, I'm going to go home and meditate. And they're like, oh, when you clear your mind, Satan gets in. I'm like, if, you, if Satan can get in your mind so easily because you're not Ooh. sinking, you must never sleep. Like, how, how dumb do you have to be? So instead of clearing your mind, what is their prescription? Would they, would they rather you do? They would say you should uh, constantly pray, but pray out loud. <laughs> mm. Like they are very against this. Like, like they don't believe you can actually think of nothing and you have to be constantly on the move because when nothing is, when there's nothing in your head, that's when Satan gets in. Very weird. And it's like, this is why yeah. I love uh, Catholicism is this. Uh, it's why I love Eastern Orthodox and Catholicism. Like when you pray the rosary, uh, it's a prayer, which is great. You're talking to God, talking to Mary. This is a very powerful thing. But at the same time, it's a cadence. It's absent-minded. You can clear mm-hmm. your mind. So even in a naturalistic side, just having a cadence and uh and, and like people mock like you have to oh you have to hold beads to pray to God. Like no, like, 
keep my hands up busy with something now. I have an absent task where I move up every every one every uh, cadence. Mm. Like it's very. If you just look at it in a naturalistic vein, you can understand that. Oh, this is a very easy way for people to get into meditating is through this prayer. And you're saying it to these partisan types, and they're like, "Oh, well, that was just made up by uh, Satanists." It's like, what? <laughs> the Catholic Church is Satanists now, and they mm. literally say yes. And it's like, I. Do you think that's do you think that's because within the Protestant tradition, it's so focused on the human or the humanistic uh, part part of religion, where if you were to do that, if you were to really meditate, let yourself go and try to become one with the universe, what you're doing is you're telling that pastor, that priest or that that person giving the sermon, right, the evangelical uh, screamer, you're, you're taking away that person's power over you. Yes. Do you think that has something to do with it? I definitely do. I mean, the. The, the, the root of all Protestantism is arrogance, in my opinion, because mm. you get it stems from two guys who saw the entire church and everyone and knew every Christian and all the tradition was wrong, and they went off into their own sink. And in the Catholic church on the stage, the center of it is where the Eucharist is, where the tabernacle is. So you're literally putting Christ in the center. The, uh, the, the, the wine and the crackers turn into the little embodiment of Christ, and Christ is at the center. And Protestant church is what's in the center of the stage, the pastor, the pulpit. Mm-hmm. If you look, it's an iPad up there. What's the Bible app on it? <laughs> there is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I, it, they, they don't seem to. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I'm looking at this kind of from the outside. It's not like I've explored. I've gone to a lot of like uh, Protestant services. You know, I, I know most of my friends are. Um, and I, I tried to like understand where they're coming from. But it kind of all is encompassed in what you just said. It, it, there seems to be a. It, it's sort of like when it comes to the Enlightenment or even the Protestant Reformation, because they're very much one in the same, right? This idea that we can understand if we just think logically through this problem, we can understand God or we can understand. And the whole point of tradition and ritual is not to understand. It's to just be, to do the ritual. When you do the ritual, you become the person, right? It's 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 like... um it's like this modern day ritual of uh, you graduate high school, you take your SAT, you go to college, you get out, you get a job, you get married, you get a white, you know, the, the house with the two bedrooms, the three bedrooms and the white picket fence. And then you retire and then blah, 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 whatever it, that this is the, the ritual that we're taught to go through in our lives, but it's an empty ritual. It's a ritual with no meaning and no purpose, no belonging to anything. The ritual of the ancients is to create strong human beings that can survive in a, in a hellish world, right? And so the, the Catholic and the, the Eastern Orthodox faith, they still retain these rituals more so in the Eastern Orthodox faith because, it, faith because it's been less corrupted, I think, by logic and reason. Yeah. And, and the there's very something... play Platonist over there. Hmm. Like, and, and there's something... much more... Hmm? No, there's something to that. There's something yeah. to the ritual that's important that when, when you take the ritual away and you make it all about trying to logic your way to God, yeah. that you end up where we, where we are right now in this world, like an empty, soulless world. Yeah. I mean, look, at if you walk into um, any modern church, compare that to walking into a cathedral. Mm. You know, like you walk into a mega church, you're going to see a Starbucks, maybe, and you're going to see a bunch of folding sailors, and you're going to see so close because you, can, you can't kneel People have to step outside the road to actually kneel. You go to a cathedral, mosaics, statues, like beauty. And beauty is like an attempt to, like, a lot of Christians really hate on iconography and statues. They, a lot of Protestants, they think we're worshiping a statue instead of worshiping God. 
and they really have this, this like for how materialistic they are they detest anything that is representative of something else mm-hmm. like to say oh well, you need you need um my brain fogs i'm phasing out again but it's like they you look at a statue and i was like the statue is not we're not praying to a statue the statue is our attempt to so the showcase the beauty of God the best we can with our mosaics, with our statues, and it's uh, it's our idea of like worshiping God through our actions and through beauty. And you yeah. know the Protestants here, and they're like, no, if you have to, if you like from a all about reading the Bible has little scientific document. You say I want to hold these beads so I can pray, and they're like, oh, yo, you can't pray without the beads. <laughs> like they they would mm-hmm. they would reject everything good about uh, religion, in my opinion. Yeah, it's that's interesting because from a group of people who. Are, are likely the most materialist of all religions, they will look at something like that cathedral and they'll see it as a bunch of excess, right? Like why would, why would these people spend all this money and time on these beautiful, elaborate, large, you know, art, art essentially, when they could just grab a folding chair and get and become one with God. And the point of it is that grabbing a folding chair and becoming one with God is not possible. That's not a thing. So you're like trying, like, like I said, people are trying to logic their way to God and have this conversation. And that is just so much hubris and ego mm-hmm. to think that God is going to speak directly to you yeah, right in the folding chair. Like wh- why would that even be the case? Mm-hmm. And even if it, if it was the case, I don't think it would work. Like, I don't see how that plays out, how that extrapolates out. It, it, it just gives, it gives too much power to the individual or even to the person preaching, like, like we said earlier, that uh, human beings don't do well with that type of responsibility. The fact that you could, the fact that you would walk into a room and say, you know, I talked to God earlier today is really like telling of the modernist framework. Well, you listen to a lot of partisans and you, you push them on. And like you, I, I debate, I, I debate a lot of partisans, never online, only face to face because online debates are a waste of time. Mm. Um, and I'll talk to them and you, you push them on something, you know, and, uh, um, for example, I was arguing with this lady about praying to saints. And she said, oh, what, you don't need Jesus? You're just going to pray to saints? Like, Jesus is going to listen? And it's like, have you ever asked someone to pray for you? Yeah, it's the same principle. I mm-hmm. asked someone to pray, pray for me. And they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, uh, put some ask, ask them to explain. Or you're asking about biblical interpretations. Why, 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 do you, why do you guys remove books from the Bible? And the only answer they have is, well, the Holy Spirit will guide me. It's like, that is so arrogant, this thing that mm-hmm. you can determine all truths from a gut feeling. And then the, I can't argue that either because I'm now you, I'm going to challenge the Holy Spirit and you're arguably just having some bad indigestion and using that as an excuse to do whatever you want. Right. I just know you can't engage with these kind of people. Yeah. And, and they don't realize that that way of interpreting religion is only a few hundred years old. Mm-hmm. There's, there's 10,000 years of human history where we, you, you wouldn't have the ability to have that hubris if all of those rituals and traditions hadn't come before you. If we had started with that, logicking our way to God, we never would have made it this far. It's, mm-hmm. it's making that incredibly stupid decision to bring facts and logic into faith yeah. that creates a world that's empty, soulless, and, and flowing through the void, mm-hmm. right? And, and people will, will look at you like you're a backwards lunatic when you say something like that. And, I, and once you see it, right, once you see that, you can't unsee it. You just watch people walk around with this like you said, arrogance. And it, it's unfortunate because it, that, that pervades like our space, right? This Liberty space, mm-hmm. that same type of like individual arrogance that is very hard to convey on social media because people are like, 
well, it's all about the individual. And you're like, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. Like in a, in a way, in a way it can be, but it can't be in such a way where you're alienated from the entire world. Yeah. Right. And, and they're, and they're not in their, in their real life. They're not living their real life the way they're portraying their life on social media. Mm-hmm. There's no way they could, you know, yeah. or, or maybe they're just in a basement somewhere and they never go out. But I, I actually tweeted that. I said, libertarians love to be the smartest person in the room. That's why they never leave the basement. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. And, and to be fair that there's a lot of, there's a lot of people in this, in this space. Um, that's just their personality type, mm-hmm. whether it's like, when we talk, we joke around about autism, but like there's li- literal autists yeah. and, you know, that, that is what it is. Like, I'm, I'm not making a judgment on them. I'm, I'm making a judgment on the people who could do more and don't. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I want to be fair and not rude or, or pick anybody apart. But yeah. when you have the ability to make change in your life and actually affect the world and you choose not to, because it's more comfortable to run to your safe space on Twitter and pretend to be a Liberty person, yeah. uh, then I'm going to call bullshit on that. I, I don't think that that's what you're really doing in your real life. Yeah. This is why I have, um, this is why I've gone more to paleo route myself is that I saw the music caucus as a part of them, but I think that the problem with like anything that big in scale is it does when you have anything that's that major and that many people, you kind of get lost in the crowd and you can then start saying, well, I am a part of a group and all I do is sit post on Twitter and I can say I'm a part of the group and I can then take credit for all the successes. And when they fail, I can say, well, I didn't do anything. You know, that's mm. why I like more the local, local level, like the people in the media's caucus who actually go to local meetings and actually try to make stand like my friend Jacob uh, Wengrad, I can't remember how to pronounce his name. He mm-hmm. gets involved on the local level. He is in the group. He is actually doing stuff. So I don't blame him. But there's a lot of media's caucus people who will just get on the phone, they'll post memes, and they'll say, if Dave Smith wants for office and gets 5%, they're like, I helped. And if Dave Smith fails and nothing happens, they're like, well, I didn't do anything. I wasn't part of that group. There is no uh, actual effort being put in by these people, but they're going to reap any of the uh, glory with it. <clears throat> yeah. So, this is this brings up a completely different set of ideas, which revolve around the idea of political power. And th- there's a lot to that. Like poli sci is a very interesting topic to talk about. Yeah. What you don't want to do if you're going to pursue political power is form yourself around an ideology that eschews political power. That doesn't make any sense. And, and I'm not I'm not saying that people should pursue political power. As a matter of fact, I think the path of the anarch or the agorist or the clear pill is preferable for me anyway. And I would advise most of these people probably should be on that path. Mm -hmm. But like you said, I think the reason that they're, they're doing this is very much so they can take credit for the good and disavow the bad. I think that's entirely right. And again, to your, to your point about local politics here in Connecticut, uh, the Mises caucus and the libertarian party is very active in local politics. I, I almost feel like we're an anomaly here compared to what I see happening around the country. Um, it, it's a great group of guys, and, and they're very focused on actu- actual praxis, on winning elections, on putting people up, on working with Republicans if need be, or even Democrats if need be, just to get these ideas in place because they, they really do want to affect their towns and municipalities. I, I think that's perfectly fine. When you get to the point of, you know, um, talking about like state or national politics, like real politics, where the people you're running against are fucking thieves and murderers. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and for fucking child rapists or something, you're, you're not going to have an effect there if you're principled. And I would prefer you be principled and not try to have an effect there. But if you're going to try to affect change and you're going to go into it with in, in prey mode, you're going to get eaten up and spit out. And yeah. what, what I don't I do see strong people in the Libertarian Party. I, I really do. 
uh, especially in, in leadership roles. But the, like the troops on the ground, like the rank and file libertarians that are trying to go the political route, they are. I don't want to be super rude. They're just not cut out for that. Yeah. And the, and I don't want them to be cut out for that. I want them to stop doing that and go do something else. Yeah. That That's yeah. kind of what my message has been. It's like, embrace the fact that you are who you are and don't try to be something that you're not because when you go into this realm and you try to fight this beast this beast is going to fuck you up yeah and if you're not ready for it you're going to get hurt and leading someone down that path when they're not ready for it or they're never going to be ready for it is dangerous yeah. and and it, it it should be stopped as much as possible because people will get hurt yeah yeah my my problem with a lot of these music is like they're they are, they are adverse to wealth. They really are. Like you hear the you know, get with people, you know, go get with people like Matt and Jason Saberton. Mm. And they get so mad about that. And they're like, well, if I make more money, I'm just going to get taxed more and help bomb more kids in Yemen. I'd rather if you're going to get into politics, you, you can't be bought off. Because people have no power. They're going to try to get power. And instead of getting, when they get, they're going to be bought off and used to actually do harm. Because they have no way of standing. Like if someone offers me a bunch of money to go against my principles, I'm not, I, I can't say I want to take the money. <laughs> You know, mm. anyone who says like, anyone who says they won't take the money is probably bullshitting themselves. Well, it, it, there's two things there, right? One of them is when somebody talks about not, if I make more money, it goes to bomb kids in Yemen. Excuse me. There's a code there. What they're telling you is they don't know how to make more money, right? They, they don't know how to do it, or it's hard, or it's a lot of work having four or five side hustles or investing in my own human capital and learning a new language or going on YouTube and learning a, a trade or craft or like, you know, I taught myself audio and video editing over the last 18 months for free, you know, just adding those little, little uh, notches to your tool belt of, of knowledge. They're, they're saying that they don't want to do that. Like I had someone tell me today that they just don't have enough time in the day to listen to a show, listen to a podcast, but then, then they're on Twitter for two, two and a half hours arguing with somebody about the fact that they don't have any time to go on and listen to a podcast. You're just making an excuse for yourself. And so I limit myself to 15 minutes on social media a day. I literally have a timer on my phone. And when I hit 15 minutes, that's it. I don't go on it anymore. And every other minute that I'm not doing something, engaging with another human being, I'm, either, I'm consuming content, either audio, audio or visual content to try to learn and grow and become something better tomorrow than I am today. So they're telling you with that statement that they're not willing to do that. They are choosing not to do that. Yeah. Um, and then I forgot the second part of it. Something about political power on the mainstream. Sorry, lost my train of thought. All good. So back to the uh, back to the Bible. Since you started reading and going through it, do you have a favorite Bible story now or favorite character? Mm, I think what's what's really interesting about reading the stories is matching them up with historical evidence that they actually did or didn't happen. Mm. And, and then trying to figure out why that story would be told if it didn't actually happen. And one of them would be like the, the story of Joshua, like conquering the kingdom or David and Solomon or Solomon's temple. There's very little to no actual historical evidence that any of those things happened. Mm. And that doesn't mean they did or didn't happen. There's just no evidence that they happened. So why would that story, if we're going to just take the, take the position that they didn't happen, what is the significance of that story within the bigger story? Why was it told? What that's was a, it trying to convey? A to good people? way to read it. Yeah, I, I really find that super interesting. So if my theory is correct, that most of 
how we would look at the Old Testament um, prior to the Babylonian exile was probably put together during and right after the Babylonian exile. You can see the idea of building a nation in these exiled people who no longer have a temple and now have to come up with a way to uh, interact with God in a foreign land, why they would pick the stories that they did and put them in the order that they did. Hmm. That to me, I find very, very interesting. Uh, and again, it was reading like, I think I probably read four or five books that Karen Armstrong wrote. And she's very, very fair about this. So she is somebody who believes she's not an atheist. She, she really is trying to explore this historically and um, exegetically, which I think is the most important way to do it. Um, and when you do that, you, you might have somebody say, well, then you don't believe the story of Joshua happened. But the, the story of Joshua, whether it happened or not, is fairly irrelevant to the meaning of the story that it's trying to tell you. I think that's the, the meaning, the story itself is much more important to the people than whether it really happened. Mm. And maybe that's just my natural inclination to go against the enlightenment. Like I don't, I don't think facts and logic help in this arena. It's really the story. It's the myth that gets you where, where you need to go, not trying to pretend like it did or didn't happen. So for me, that's been the most illuminating thing. And um, and I find that kind of study fascinating. What do you think that is, though? Like, there's something about uh, nowadays, partisan types or just regular people, that if a story is fictional, it's not as, it's not as impactful and important. Like, they make a movie nowadays, and they're still uh, based on a true story. And it's like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> there's no way that mm. actually happened. And but people will latch onto it more if it's based off a true case. It's like, Star Wars has, Star Wars, for example, has a lot of lessons, very impactful. People will write off any deeper dissection of Star Wars because it's made up story. Like, yeah. What, what, do you, what do you think that is that causes that? I can't figure it out. It's the trap of facts and logic, right? Fa facts and logic is, is the biggest trap human beings have laid for themselves over the course of ha half a millennium, right? It's the, the story works. The, the Star Wars story works because it's an eternal story. It's a story that you see play out in the Marvel movies. You see it play out in sci-fi all the time. It's, you know, the, the, the rebel fighting the, you know, it's the hero's journey, essentially. Mm -hmm. yeah. It goes back to Iliad and the Odyssey, Gilgamesh. I mean, even Joshua, for fuck's sake, right? It's that story resonates for a reason. There's a reason people go to watch movies like that. There's a reason people go to watch the Avengers, right? It, it's there's something inside of you that feels like you're getting in touch with the hero, you're understanding their, their struggle, you're fighting for the everyman. like that. That's important. When you break that down, like really deconstruct it, you're destroying the whole essence of, of humanity. Like, and it, it's not necessary. And it, it's really just going back to, you know, hubris and ego, the idea that, you know, we're so much smarter than the people that came before us. We're so much more enlightened. We're so much more intelligent that you know, the Christopher Hitchens of the world or the Dawkins or the Sam Harris's that, you know, these, these stupid sky fairies and this nonsense, like we're so much smarter than you. And then you look at the world that they've created and you're like, fuck, this wasn't a good idea. Do you guys not see how bad of an idea this was? Like, yeah. it, it seems good, right? If you're, if you're thinking about it and you're like, oh, I feel like we should be more enlightened. We should think logically and we should reason through mm -hmm. things and we have to get to the fact and we have to leave the myth behind. Like that sounds like it makes sense. But when you see the results and the consequences of that play out in the real world, you realize that that's not what we're biologically programmed to do. Yeah. We are going against our very nature by Sue. And this is honestly, this is the story told over and over again in the Bible or in literally any religious text. 
-hmm. Don't do that because when you do that, it destroys your civilization. Tower of Babel. How many times Mm -hmm. in the Old Testament does this go on and on and on? Jesus talking to his disciples when all he does for the entire gospel is just chastise these people for being completely retarded, like just over and over and over again, how stupid they are, how arrogant they are, how they'll never listen to him, how they never do anything right. Building you up for something bigger, right? Mm -hmm. How many times do we have to tell this story before it clicks in? Honestly, I, I don't think it will. I think people are going to slowly return to mysticism and other people are not. And it's, you know, it's probably going to work itself out along COVID lines, just based on the world we've seen for the last couple of years, which is, uh, I would say, inevitable and probably a good thing. I mean, I don't know if it'll end well, but it just, it seems to be inevitable. Mm. Let's see. Has your opinions, like before we start going through the Bible, it kind of had this whole uh, uh, philosophical what of you kind of change, you know, it's the whole reading the Bible, understanding, uh, you know, going uh, again, for lack of a better term, the post-libertarian thing, since you kind of had that switch from being regular libertarian and cap to researching new ideals and reading the Bible. Has your view of Christians, like saints, like, did you, were you, because you were more agnostic, so were you like, what do you want those like hardcore Quinn's atheists who made fun of him, or were you more like the guy who just left him alone? Like, how is your view of Christians changed? I actually, I actually don't think it has. Hmm. I think I'm just now trying, I'm starting to understand why I felt the way I did about religion way back then. Hmm. I never really understood it. At at the time, I would have just said, oh, this is a bunch of stupid stuff, kind of the way the atheists say it. Hmm. But now what I'm realizing is I was, I was slowly tuning in to a bad telling of a good story and realizing that the reason that story wasn't resonating with me was because the people telling it were telling it wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not that the religion itself was terrible, which is what I thought at the time. It's that I had to figure out a way for it to be told to me where it resonated on a deeper level. And that's, that's kind of what I've found. And I, I'm by no way, uh, no means um, a biblical scholar, or I can like quote you scripture right now. You know, that's not the level that I'm at, but um, I'm, I'm open to it because I understand what its purpose is. And that helps me reconcile with the way I felt about it 20, 25 years ago. Right now, I know why I felt that way. And I also had, um, you know, a lot of issues with libertarianism and anarchism 10, 12 years ago as well. And now I think I understand why I felt that way then also. Right. I'm exploring the whys now rather than just accepting the fact that I didn't like something or there was something wrong with me. You know, when I would get into like um, the Jason Stapleton Facebook group back in like 2014, 2015, and I would have these anarchist minarchist arguments. And I would always say, you know, like I, I kind of sympathize with the minarchist position. I, I don't really know why. And it wasn't until the last year when I realized that, oh, like hierarchy is inevitable right? Like some sort of statecraft is inevitable because of division of labor, because people don't want to own themselves. They never really want to do that because it's time consuming and it's stupid. So we're going to outsource things that we don't want to do to people who do them better. This was what I was having a problem with seven years ago, but I didn't know how to articulate it until I saw this COVID disaster happen in the real world. And now I know how to articulate it better. So I don't think that I've changed my view on anything. I just think I understand what my view is mm-hmm. now because I'm allowing myself to be more introspective about it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. That makes, that, makes, that makes perfect sense. I understand that. Yeah, I've, I, I, I came to libertarianism to Joe, to, uh, Joe Jorgensen. 
I went from Trump to mm. Joe Jorgensen oh, to wow. Tom, yeah, Tom Woods, Michael Mouse, and Cap. Was it about? Let's see, Joe Jorgensen went about a year ago, probably. So about a year. Wow. Um, and I, I was like, and Cap, got it, and Cap. This is it. This is philosophically sound. It's consistent. I got it. Mm. This is the goal. Then COVID lockdowns happened. And I was like, oh, this is never gonna happen. <laughs> like as much as I would love this to happen, unless people are gonna change their entire idea about being left alone like everyone is very universalist no one can stand people being left alone and and the, uh, a lot of anarchism relies on people being left alone um and since that's never going to happen we got to figure okay how do we get to the peak of freedom before human nature kicks our ass mm. and it's uh trying to figure it out is very fun well that, that's the the problem with anarcho-capitalism it, it's it's soundly based on economics and and very unsoundly based on empathy Right. There's not really anything in there that's a, a positive assertion. And, and what I mean by that is rather than say, um, love, love your neighbor as yourself. Right. What you're saying is don't do to people what you wouldn't want them to not do to you. Right. It, it's a total inversion of the golden rule, which takes out the personal responsibility of you actually doing the good thing. So saying don't hurt people. Um, I'm sorry, not, don't hurt people through this stuff. What's the, uh, the non-aggression principle, right? Like the non-aggression principle is backwards. It's supposed to be do the good things, live your life with a sense of empathy, caring, understanding for other people through the life of Christ or the life of Buddha or whomever you want to invoke, right? Not like uh, this weird atheistic inversion of it. That's what I think screws it up. The, the economics are kind of sound, in anarcho-capitalism, it's also the extrapolation of like four or five academics who were sitting around talking about this stuff 50 years ago. And I imagine if they were all around now, they would probably have a more evolved opinion, yeah. just like their opinion at that time was evolved from, you know, the stuff they were reading. So mm -hmm. I think the, the problem with getting all ideological here and creating this like ANCAP or anarchist or libertarian dogma is that it doesn't allow you the ability to really think freely about what you're talking about. Because when you do, you're just ostracized from the ANCAP church, right? Yeah. Or the cult of ANCAP. You're like, oh, you, you want it, you statist, you fucking statist. Yeah. And you're like, what is this? Like, are you excommunicating me from the church? Yeah. Like, yeah, like I, lo I, I love the agorist types, but mm. so many of them are uber autistic. And they'll say like, I'm going like, to say, I'm going to work on my local level. Like, oh, you're gonna negotiate with your slave master, and it's like, it's like wow. I, I, I get what they're saying, but at the same time, it's like these people are so, like, locked in to. A, again, I think it's a good idea. I think algorithm is to pass forward, but at the same time, I want to make a little bit of incremental change to say get the public schools not to have critical race theory taught, and I'm a statist, and it's like, okay, we have to accept we live in a state. Sadly, let's not let. I was gonna teach uh, two plus two is four, and two plus two is racism. Let's at least do a little bit of work here and not just um, go hide off in the woods and, and fuck everybody else over. Right. And so uh, I have zero beef with the Gorists. I, I think that's that's the clearest path of libertarianism. I, I don't know if there even is another path of libertarianism. I think, like you're saying, the problem with the Agorists is when they start involving themselves in non-Agorist things, that that's not why would you do that? Right. Like, wh why would I get myself involved in something that didn't matter to me? Right. I, I, can't, I, mean, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's something if, if I went on like a um, New Orleans Saints Facebook group and just started railing about how stupid the New Orleans Saints are when I could give a shit about the New Orleans Saints one way or the other. Like, what do I care what they do? They don't have any effect on my life. 
So what is it about agorists going on social media and just bitching to people who want to involve themselves in the workings of the state? Just leave those people alone. What do you care? Like, I thought you were an agorist doing your agorist shit. Go do that because that's beautiful. Go do yeah. that thing and just leave these other people alone. Like, why are you concerning yourself with them? Yeah. No, it, it, agorism is very Christian. I mean, one of the points that uh, Christians have was we should live our life like Jesus and then our actions speak louder than our words. That mm. is agorism in practice. That is agorism is living as, if I, living as I want to live and then letting people see my actions and come join the boat that I'm building to be right. free of the state. Like, that is a very, like, I, I think the most consistent Christian view is agorism. No, I think that's I think that's true. It, it, it's also the most consistent libertarian view. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's libertarianism in action. It's literally action, right? It's agora, yeah. uh, anarchy, uh, anarchy action, mm-hmm. um, and and that's that's good. And there's also the path. People don't talk about this enough, but there's also the path of the anarch, which uh, Yarvin turned into the clear pill. But it's Ernst mm-hmm. Jünger talking about the anarch in Oymishville, which I've tried to bring up a little bit on various shows I've been on, and that's the idea that you can be part of the system while just ignoring the system. And I, I find this idea, this idea is very new to the libertarian circles because so far I haven't talked to anybody who's read that book or even knows who Jünger is, um, which, which is interesting. But the idea that, you know, you can be in the middle of a horrendous, tyrannical system and just in your mind, you just think it's all a fucking joke. Like, it's just a joke to you. And you just move through life with this peace in your heart that none of it matters that regimes come and go, tyrannies come and go. You work on your own personal relationship with the world and your own personal relationship with the people around you, your family, your friends, your loved ones, and you just don't give it any energy. And that is a difficult pill for people in the liberty movement to swallow because they internalize this shit so much that it gives them like heartburn Mm -hmm. and they just get so angry about it. And, you know, I, I was angry when my, when the restaurant industry was shut down for two months last year, like, but, but not that angry because I had a bunch of savings and a bunch of side hustles and other yeah. things I could do with my time. Um, but it, it also made me realize that, okay, I have to be out of this industry because this might happen again. So let me work on building my own human capital and making sure that I'm not affected by this. Because the last thing I want to do is look back four years from now when this shit happens again and be like, damn, I didn't learn anything from that experience. Yeah. Yeah. That that that's a little bit of the anarch too. That, so the anarch being to the anarchist what the monarch is to the monarchist. The anarch mm-hmm. is the doer, where the anarchist is the person constantly fighting the thing. Mm-hmm. That the anarch doesn't fight the thing; they submit to the thing and they don't give a shit about the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that I think is going to be a really hard pill for people to swallow. But yeah. it's also an incredibly peaceful existence that comes out of it. Like you're free in your mind whether or not you're really free in reality. Mm-hmm. And then it makes you question like, what is reality? If I'm free in my mind, then I, do I care if other people say I'm not free? Mm-hmm. If someone says like, you're not free because you pay 30% of your income in taxes. And I go, yeah, but I don't care. They're like, well, you should care because it's theft. Yeah, but I don't, I yeah. don't care. Why would I care? I can't change it. Or if I can change it, I go do side hustles and I do shit off the books and I go perform agorism. But if I choose to make you know, a quarter million dollars a year and 40% of that is taken. Well, like it's still a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, well, while you're bombing children in Yemen, well, you know, the government can just print money and yeah. go bomb yeah, that, children. That was Yemen. my biggest complaint with all these people who would be like, looks like, like they couldn't play, like, I'm gonna starve the state. It's like they literally print all the money mm-hmm. already. Like, what are you talking? Are you gonna go burn up all the ink cartridges and not let them print? Like, what is this? I think that's something that Konkin got wrong 
And if he had lived long enough, I think he probably, I hate to speak for people who can't speak, but mm. I think he would have realized that choking the state, the idea of counter-economics, that that's not really possible. That what yeah. agorism really is, is a path towards self-sustainability, mm -hmm. right? The, the idea of cushioning and buffering yourself against tyranny is, is a much better a much better definition, but choking the state through counter-economics, I don't think that's even possible. Yeah. You know, because once you build something, you know, you, you end up sort of creating the same structures anyway, mm -hmm. you know, once it gets to a certain level. Um, I'm still kind of working through how to word that, but that, that's my gut. My gut is that Konkin, given enough time, probably would have changed his opinion on how he, how he uh, phrased that particular thing. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about uh, these... Your, the group, your, your group of guys, the post-libertarian groups, Matt, Pete, you, uh, Andrew, Popular Liberty, these guys, you guys get a lot of hate online. Like I saw today, I have uh, my friend Rob and Christbuild. We're going at you and Matt today. Mm. Like, those, are, those are good guys. They're both friends. Uh, but you guys get a lot of hate. Why do you think? I, I have a story about why I think that is, but why do you think that is? Well, because people don't like their dogma questioned, mm. right? Like they, they've spent their entire life, you know, or... A small part of it. I mean, I know, I know you're new to this, but for someone who's been around it for 20, 25 years, you can see that people spend their entire life, you know, in, in uh, invoking this doctrine that where, you know, now the idea of a libertarian is, is not something that you do. It's something that you are mm -hmm. when it really should be something that you do. Mm -hmm. And so they've kind of um, bit into this indoctrinated dogma. And when you come along and you say, you know, maybe you should think about it this way. Their natural instinct is just to lash out like they lash out at everybody. Status, 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 or, or lay it out for me so I can understand it. And it's like, well, probably all somebody would have to do is just listen to this episode with you, right? <laughs> and, or any episode I've ever done anywhere or any episode Matt's done anywhere. It takes like an hour or two of your time. And it's really easy. I ain't got right? the time, and man. I got to work. I ain't got the time. <laughs> Yeah, but they got the time to right. Then they got the time to be on Twitter yeah. saying that they don't have the time to do anything. So and, and then I think what they're what they're looking for is they're not understanding how how easy the message is to understand. Mm -hmm. It's in fact, I think it's so simple that it becomes complicated. It's just make yourself immune to tyranny. Make yourself, you, immune mm -hmm. to tyranny. And they're yeah. like, but I don't understand. That, that's a word salad. It doesn't make any sense. And it's like, I, it's literally one sentence. Like, I don't know how much more simply I can, I can state it for you. Make yourself immune to tyranny. Do whatever yeah. you have to do. It doesn't matter because the opposite of that, you're just making excuses. And when you're making excuses, you are, your entire ideology is then wrapped up in the thing that you're fighting against, where now you need the state because the state defines your identity of being anti-state. If you ever yeah. didn't have a state, you're like the dog who caught the car. You're like, I wouldn't even know what to do with it if I caught it. Like Joker yeah. says in a dark night, this yeah. is what, this is what libertarians find themselves in or, or the ones that are giving pushback. Mm -hmm. um, I think I probably get less pushback because I don't find myself to be very antagonistic mm -hmm. on social media, mostly because I have a lot of respect for my time mm -hmm. and I don't need to be on there more than 15 minutes a day, but certainly uh, other people have more bombastic ways of expressing this message. And that's totally fine. Um, that probably works better in the long run. And uh, I'll even like, sometimes I'll link Matt just cause I know he'll go through the work of explaining the thing. And then I can just dip out the back of the Twitter conversation and not have to deal with it anymore. 
Um, but really it's just as simple as making yourself immune to tyranny, you know, and, and I'm not a purist about that, right? Like if, like I said before, if I'm making a quarter million dollars a year and 40% of that goes to, to the state, that's enough money for me to live on. So I've essentially done in, in the marketplace of power, I have purchased my freedom. Yeah. And that is very difficult for a purist to understand because they want it to be zero. Yeah. Like it always has to be zero. And yeah. they, they've, really, they've really made the perfect enemy of the good. Like they have really, it's kind of, it's kind of sad and frustrating to see it happen. Cause there would be like, um, I saw this debate in this exchange and it was like, um, like name one time political power ever helped someone. And it's like, here's the time when they wiped away everyone's drug records. Oh, so you, um, the state, um, set him free from free. So now you can pay taxes. And it's like, fuck, fuck you. That guy can get a job now. Hmm. You no, know, it's like, this is, um, now, my theory on why so many of you guys get hate is that Murray Rothbard and all these really great anarchists painted a beautiful picture of like a utopian, perfect ANCAP society. And you guys come in here like, that's actually not going to happen. That's impossible. And he, like, you're coming at them from their own group. You know, like when the right gets married, coming up from the right, the left gets married, coming up from the left. Like Matt, Matt would say, Lysander Spooner got it wrong on the Constitution. And Andrew said, like, yeah, the um, Article of Federation won better than the Constitution. The Constitution was better because of the time preference mm. power. Like you got to come in at the anarchists from the anarchists. And because it's such a tight knit group, it doesn't happen often. And they get really mad about it because you guys are actually applying their ideas in a way that would win and work. And these guys just don't like it because you're, you're in group. The in group fighting is very strong. There, there's also, yes. And, and there's also a lot of insecurity there because um, I don't believe that a lot of these folks are as well read as they say they are. Yeah. Um, you know, I went through my Rothbard Mises phase. I've read human action at least three times. I think I've read seven or eight Rothbard books. Like I can't quote them, you know, but I'm very, very familiar with the ideas. And uh, I can tell when somebody is trying to come at me from a Rothbardian stance and they haven't actually read anything other than like half of anatomy of the state. Like I can sense that right away because they wouldn't be wording the thing the way they're wording it. Right. If they had actually read the thing and and again, it, it isn't like Rothbard is a is part political scientist, part philosopher, part theorist. And and he was working through ideas over time. It wasn't like there was a six month period where he published everything he ever he'd ever written and there wasn't any evolution in his in his thinking. So and this is like every philosopher, even Junger, who I talk about a bunch goes, you know, it has a like an 80 year history of writing that if you read the beginning of it around his experience in World War One, it's completely different than when he wrote Oymusville in 1977. And so if you were to just distill him into a couple of paragraphs, you wouldn't be doing him justice. I feel like these a lot of these people aren't doing Rothbard or Mises or Hayek or any of these folks justice the way that they're expressing their opinions about them. And that just shows me an insecurity that the reason that they become so hostile is because they don't have the information to back up what they're saying. And that will always happen. Like if you can't come uh, to speak on a position of authority about something and you refuse to admit that you don't have a position of authority on something, you're going to end up sounding nasty. Yeah, it's yeah. better just to say, I don't know. And but when, when you say you don't know, then you, you might be ostracized from your group. So the best thing to do is to actually know, actually read, actually take the time to learn the things or listen to new ideas and that will earn you the respect of people who have respect for themselves enough to do the same. Mm. Right. If that makes sense. 
Absolutely. And speaking of books, um, I'm going to plug my own stuff real quick. Uh, this month is the Hans Hermann Hopper month. And so we're going to all of Hans Hermann Hopper's uh, books this month. So if you want to listen to that, go ahead and subscribe, hit the notification bell. I got a lot of cool guests coming on to talk about Hopper. Okay. I, I, I saw an opportunity to plug. I kind of had to take it. Sure. Yeah, man. It's your show. Yeah. Um, now, that's, that's one of the reasons I saw the podcast is I, I saw the. I was reading the books and I wanted to find some way to capitalize on reading these books. I saw a lot of people came to the movement. I'm like, okay, new people here. They haven't read the books. I haven't read the books. I'm going to read them. I want to start a podcast. Let's just combine that. Where I can put the books out in advance. People can read it along. They can join the podcast. They can join the group and discussing group. We can all talk about the book, all learn together. Like, this is the point of podcast. I don't know a lot of things. I had Stephen Casello on yesterday to talk about intellectual property. Yeah, that was a good grab, man. Good, good yeah. job getting him on. Thank you. He explained. I, there's, there's something pits. What come explain it to me like I'm a five year old, and when anyone has any questions, you can send them my dumb ass asking all the, all the basic questions. Mm. And that's kind of what I'm doing with this podcast. I don't know a lot, and so I'm having people come on. Like I have Jose Galison coming on to explain algorithm to me, like I'm a five year old. Like they're gonna, I'm gonna get the very fundamental basics explained so that people can learn with me along the way, and then they can refer that back to when new people still like, hey, here's here's the basics. Go listen to this 30 minute podcast. Well, you know, what I respect a lot about what you're doing is you, you came in, first of all, you came into this super quick. Like, I don't know anyone who went from like, what do you say? Went from Republican to Joe Jorgensen to this in like a year. That's what, what that shows me is uh, an incredible amount of humility and willingness to talk and listen uh, without the hubris and the ego. Um, that's really impressive, man. And, and you should be commended for, for doing what you're doing the way you're doing it. I think that, that sort of humility and the willingness to learn and listen uh, obviously doesn't mean you have to agree with everything, but you're in, in order to say, explain this to me like a five-year-old, you have to have not just humility, but a massive amount of self-confidence to, to uh, approach anything that way. And if more people did what you're doing, our little space, I think would be uh, much more productive. So kudos to you for doing it the way that you're doing it. Yep. Thank you very much. And we're going to end on a high note. <laughs> Go ahead and uh, go ahead and plug your stuff real quick and we can uh, get out of here. Sure. So it's uh, you're talking over me with Adam Patrick. It's spelled like a, like a Southerner, like Y-E-R, talking with no G over me with Adam Patrick. Um, there's some history behind that title, but for the most part, I just titled it that way. So it's harder for people to find. Yeah, I, don't I, want I people couldn't to find listen. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want you to find it, but for the most part, I don't want people who I don't like to find it. So it's, um, <laughs> it, it, it's a little bit of a struggle, but it's on uh, any podcatcher, YouTube, uh, you can just go to yourtalkingovermeat.com. You can listen to it right there on the website. It's a, I, I put it up finally, the website that I really wanted to see. Um, I did start a Patreon. So I'll have some stuff up behind a paywall there, early episodes. It's patreon.com slash YTOM, I believe. And then I'm starting a Substack called Accordium, which will be up soon. And I'll link to that on Twitter where you can find me at I am Adam Patrick. And also you're talking over me, uh, Facebook page. So uh, anybody feel free to contact me whenever I, I love getting DMS and stuff. One, one thing I was talking with my girlfriend today about some messages that I got. If, if you're going to message me, try to not sound like, um, like a bot, right? Like don't just say hello and just sort of leave it hanging there. <laughs> Cause I, I don't know what, if you're a fed, if you're a bot, like, yeah. should I respond to that? Like try to give me a paragraph that lets me know you're a real person so I can actually interact with you. Um, and, uh, and I think that's it, man. Awesome. Well, everybody, this has been another episode of the Catholic Libertarian Podcast. Uh, hit the notification bell, like, subscribe, please share the video to everyone, and uh, have a good go read some more books. Have a good night.